Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. So welcome back to the Cooking and Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today I have a very special guest. You won't believe who it is. Uh, it's my wife, Sarah, my sweetheart. Uh, she is joining us today and I'm excited. Uh, I think this is the first time in five years that you've been on the show. So, you know, that's, that's, that's husband fail one-on-one right here. So, um, you know, uh, but you know, it's okay. You, you do a lot. What's, what's people hear about, you know, all the things that you do, you're definitely not, you know, slouching off in your responsibilities, you know, in, in serving me and our readers and, uh, everything else you're, you're definitely, you know, active and, and serving the Lord and all those things. So, well, anyway, before we ramble on and on about that, uh, can you just catch us up on what's uh, happening in your life, in your ministry? And uh, what are you, what are you working on? Are those types of things? How basically a large answer of this guys will be, how is she helping Dave? So, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, as you know, I'm currently working in the healthcare industry. Um, it's a pretty recent uh, job that I've started this year. And it's funny and maybe a bit ironic that I find myself in such a position considering the current social and political climate of our day. I know that I personally would not have chosen to put myself there. Um, so it's definitely with 100% certainty that I can say that this is a work of God in my life. Um, and because of this turn of events, uh, I have an opportunity to see the underside of many healthcare related issues as they're coming up, uh, often before others hear about them. So it's been interesting. Unfortunately, most of those issues being related, uh, or, or revealed, I should say, are not uh, good or helpful to the public as a whole. Um, but regardless of this, um, God is using me in this place and for his, at, at this time for his good will and purpose. Um, currently, I'm also working um, uh, on Theology for Life uh, for the October issue of this year. That's going to be coming out at the end of this month. I am also working with a church in Pakistan to gather clothes and um, financial donations for their youth ministry. There's a lot of need in that area of the world right now, um, especially as winter's coming on. They uh, don't have the proper clothing for their uh, young people there, and that's pretty a uh, sad situation. But uh, you know, we're hopeful that you know, given time and um, circulating that information around and how people can help, that they will be provided for, and the Lord will continue to use that. Um, so. I'm also working on editing some of Dave's book projects that he's writing. Uh, I think it's book number three that I'll be finishing up editing here shortly. And uh, so you, you won't get to hear about that until later on, but 
you know, uh, behind the scenes type thing that you're hearing about now. So everybody wants to know what that is. You'll find out. You'll find out. Don't you worry. You're pretty little heads. You'll find out. You'll find out. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, guys, Sarah really does work hard behind the scenes. And, you know, our next issue is on uh, Christian conscience and Christian liberty. Um, it's an issue that we're both pretty passionate about. And so you'll you'll be finding that here soon. Um, well, you know, today we're going to talk about we're both very Sarah and I, Sarah, by the way, didn't mention this, but she's actually the managing editor of Servants of Grace. And she's also the managing editor of our magazine, Theology for Life. So she stays she stays busy behind the scenes, uh, working hard. And and we're both concerned today uh, about um, a great deal of things related, especially the theology. Um, much of the theology being um, articulated in in our culture in the church about what exactly does it mean to you know love our neighbor so as we've been talking um about this thing uh it just became kind of evident that hey let's do an episode and and talk about this so um why why is it so important sarah that we you know have a good understanding of what it means to love god and our neighbor well in a nutshell if we don't understand what it means to love god and our neighbor we'll we'll fail to uphold the great commandment which jesus talks about in matthew 22 verses 34 through 40 if we let the world dictate what it means to love your neighbor as yourself um, or to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind will be misled by many philosophies. And I think that's coming true in the world around us today. So it's one of those things where you've really got to dial down and understand the meaning behind those words in scripture. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really well said. So, yeah, kind of just continuing on um, there. Uh, yeah, that's a it's a great point. Deuteronomy, you know, what you're talking about is it stems from Matthew 22, of course, 37 through 40, where Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. That's a the call known as for those who don't know, you should know this. It is called the Great Commandment. It, it is not a the great suggestion. It's called the Great Commandment. Okay, just so that we're clear, and and it's so important to understand this because. Not only just to understand what that passage means, but even to go back, because it's, it, it's, it's some people think, well, that's just in the New Testament. So, you know, I'm reading in the New Testament, but it actually goes back to, you know, the Old Testament and it goes back even to Deuteronomy 6.5. And, and Deuteronomy 6.5 is actually it's actually at the heart of, of this book of, of the law. It's a very important book in the Old Testament. In fact, um, the prophets use, a lot of people don't know that the prophets actually use Deuteronomy uh, for covenant to, they, they talk about, the prophets talk about covenant cursings and covenant blessings. And so to say that what I just did, that, that it's at the heart of a book, the prophets use, and the prophets are a large portion of the, you know, the Old Testament, that, that's a really big thing to say. But this is a book, Deuteronomy, in which Moses prepares Israel to enter the promised land. It's his final sermon to Israel. You know, we have, you know, Genesis, Exodus, uh, you know, Leviticus and Numbers, and then, you know, we have Deuteronomy. So Moses knows that he's going to soon die. The people, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're going to finally enter the promised land. And so Moses begins with a history lesson. He's reminding them of how they've been delivered from Egypt and they entered into a covenant relation with them. Uh, he, he gave them his truth to make them wise, to, 
gave them laws so that they would have a just and and righteous society. Uh, He delivered them from Egypt. He spoke to them on Sinai. He made them his people. God did. And so uh, they're supposed to have no other idols but him. They're supposed to honor him above everything. And so what Moses does is he underscores this particular point in Deuteronomy 6, 5 with a series of questions uh, in the preceding verses, Deuteronomy 4, 7 says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us when we pray to him? So he's the only God who listens, Deuteronomy 4, 8. And what other nation is so great such as to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? He's the only God who speaks. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 34 through 35 says, has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, or, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt. Uh, you were shown these things that, so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there's no, no other. So he's the only God who acts. And so Moses says in light of this, guess what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to worship the Lord, right? He's the creator of all heaven and earth. Uh, He upholds, he governs, he sustains the world that that he made. And so he's a personal God. Uh, That's why we have the God who speaks, who listens, who acts, who knows us. Um, Middleville theologians, they used to say that that the repetition is the mother of learning. And that's really what Moses does. He's, He's repeating uh, what he says. So they medieval theologians probably got that, you know, from, from Moses. They they discovered that, you know, that that's an idea, it's a biblical idea. So um, Deuteronomy 4 closes and Deuteronomy 5, it repeats that the Lord is the one and the living God. Now, without getting into you know a lot of this, we'll just we'll just sum this up here. But that that this is really what he's talking about. He's he's talking about the loving the Lord. And this is, you know, the background uh, for what Jesus says in, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Why? Because we're talking about like Exodus 3, 14 says, I am who I am. And, and Jesus even uh, in seven times in John's gospel, right? He says the seven I am statements. They they show that that God is who he is. He's you know, eternally self-sufficient. Um, he is who he is. He he means what he means, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And this is this means that this God, he he he, out of his, we need to under, we need to say this. We think we might think, well, I'm supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all my mind, mother, soul. But what you need to understand is the reason that you do that is because. Uh, not because God needs you. In fact, it's the opposite. You need God. Without God, you're not even going to exist. And it was out of the out of the uh, inner Trinitarian love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, one God and three essences uh, that that He He made us. Genesis one tells in His image and His likeness. So it's not us that need God. It's not that God needs our love. It's that it's that he made us to, to, to know him and to be satisfied in his love. And, and that's such an important point because it's not that that I'm so good that that God made me. And so God owes me um, in some sort of weird cosmic twist. It's actually the opposite way. The creator created us to know him and to love him and, and, and to obey him because we, we have a new heart with new desires. And, and some people think, ah, you know, this is just like, this is just like, uh, this is even, this is even just not the New Testament. It's actually, you can go to Genesis uh, 15 and you can see that Abraham was justified. How? 
He was made right with God. How? He was made right by, by, by believing God and by taking God at his word. And, and this is all throughout the Old Testament. Um, it's all throughout the New Testament. So, so it can be said that salvation is literally taking God at his word, believing God who, who, who and what he says he is, and, and trusting in what he has said. And, and this, this command, it's made possible because we have a new heart. Um, it's, it's made po- the only way that you and I can love God is because we have that new heart. So that we have to say that that's not because we're so good. It's not because we're so, uh, we, we have it so together. It's because God has made us right with himself, uh, through Jesus, uh, through his finished and sufficient work. Um, and that's enough for us. And, and he, his love is enough for us. And this propels, it fuels a love, uh, for, for our neighbor. And that's kind of what the old Testament and even the New Testament is getting at, uh, you know, the, the command uh, to love, it's, it's not even just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Um, it's a fruit of the Spirit even. So, and the fruit of the Spirit is, <laughs> it's also a command, you know, it's, it's something that's supposed to be displayed in our, in our lives. And so what we're talking about today, it, it, getting, it, getting it right is absolutely paramount. So what do you, what do you think, Sarah? Well, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. Um, so many of the commands that, uh, are in the old Testament carry over into the new Testament. Um, when Jesus is talking about our, um, duty to love God first, and then our fellow man in Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40. Um, and the fact is, is, um, when the religious leaders of uh, Jesus's day were talking to him, uh, they were trying to trap him into misrepresenting the scripture or, or um, blaspheming against God. We see in um, this part of Matthew that this is just what Moses meant. Um, it says, uh, beginning in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that uh, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So as you can see, it's all it all connects and it all flows together. And that should shape everything that we uh our um, our full understanding of what it means to love God and what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah, that's that's really good. And if we if we flip back, you know, who doesn't know? Raise your hand if you if you know the Sermon on the Mount and, and chapter five through seven. You know, you you may have read that. But at the very end, just to bring out this point uh, that you made in in Matthew seven verses twenty eight through twenty nine, it says this. And when Jesus finished saying these things, he's talking about finishing the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For, verse 29, he says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, that is, <laughs> I can't tell you how important this. Here, Here's people that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to, to your point, that thought that they knew everything that was right. And now what, what the te- passage is telling us is that they, they had their opinions. Now they had opinions, you know, they had, they had a long list of the 600 and 
600 and uh, uh, what is it? 600 and you know, 20 laws or something like that. And, and they all go boil back to the 10 commandments. Now we know that these are, Jesus says, these are the two commandments on which the law, in fact, his, he says it, depend all the law and all the prophets. And what they had missed was the, what Jesus is saying is he, they lost the heart of the law. Now, now, that's basically like think of somebody like you know we both like NCIS so well I I like NCIS and and in, and, and, and the NCIS show you know uh, Gibbs is known to slap McGee and uh, Denozo upside the head I mean think of it this way what Jesus is doing in the ancient world is basically that backhanded Gibbs slap you know in the ancient ancient days just like Pop! You know, you're you're so wrong. Now, we're not saying that Jesus would backhand somebody upside the head. I, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, using imagery to get you to understand here that this is this is so uh, important. They were teaching their opinions and, and they were uh, enslaving people uh, in 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 a wrong understanding, really, of God. Um, and and they were failing to help the people to love them. Meanwhile, they're, you know, we know that they're getting rich off of uh, doing things that they thought was was right and and they're mishandling the word of god and that's why the people were so amazed this is why going back why i brought out the matthew verse because this is why matthew 728 says they're astonished at his teaching they're not just okay we're not we're not saying that jesus didn't elaborate on scripture that he didn't explain scripture we see that he did and passage like Luke uh, 24, where he interprets the scripture from the law and the prophets uh, to them, but he's not teaching his opinion. He's teaching the scriptures. That, that's where Jesus's authority was because he's you know fully God and fully man. He, In fact, verse 29 in Matthew 7 says he's teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That That is, again, a, a point that we have to understand that we miss because the, 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 he's, he's talking you know, to the Jews, to people that were traveling with him. He's giving them a sermon about what kingdom life is. And at the very end, the people are amazed, they're astonished because he's teaching them, he's explaining to them what, what that life is supposed to look like. Uh, and and they're, they're astonished at his teaching because he's not just giving them, oh, well, don't do this on Sunday or on the Sabbath, or don't do this on a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be uh, ritually clean and, and you're going to have to, you know, offer bowls and sacrifices or, or so. I, that's not what's happening here. He, he's, he, he's teaching them. He's explaining to them what life in the kingdom is. And they're amazed. They're astonished because he's done that so well. Well, and you know, what's funny is, um, ironically, this was uh, my morning reading in scripture this morning, I do a, a daily Bible reading and um, part of it was um, these, you know, five, six and seven of Matthew. And it, in another section in that part of scripture, it actually talks about, you know, pulling the log out of your own eye so that you can assist with the fleck, the speck in your brother's eye. And it all ties in. Jesus is tying this into, you know, how we should be loving our neighbor as ourselves. The problem is, is 
like you said, the the uh, scribes and Pharisees, they missed the point entirely. <clears throat> They've got the log in their eye. And they're saying, hey, hold on. You've got a speck in yours, but they've got to take that out first. And that's why we have to understand, you know, you've got to look at the entirety of scripture and not um, these minuscule 600 plus laws that they were um you know, trying to make everybody beholden to when in fact it was supposed to be all about the 10 commandments and uh, the greatest commandment being loving the Lord first and loving your neighbor as yourself second. So, you know, eventually you have to define, you know, these terms, but I think that the, uh, you know, just showing where Jesus is um, explaining, you know, this is a, a heart issue and not a law issue is where it comes into play. So, I mean, the, the law, the law is important. It exposes our sin. It has a purpose in our lives, but are we supposed to be law law? Are we supposed to only point out the law? No, we're supposed to show, we're supposed to show grace. You know, the law leads us to Christ. Paul says in Galatians and as a, as a guardian, a, 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 as a pointer, if you will, to, to Jesus. And, that's what, you know, to your point in Matthew 5, 17, you know, he says that he came to fulfill the law. And, and, and what is the point of the law? Well, he says what the point of the law is, you know, at the very heart, as I explained earlier, the heart of Deuteronomy 6 is the heart of Deuteronomy. And the, uh, the prophets use this book and, and to, is to love the Lord and to love our neighbor. So we, we have to talk about some more about what it means to love our neighbor. Now, the legal expert in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he, or 34 through 40, uh, he asked Jesus, which, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave him you know, uh, a very good answer, but he didn't stop there with just loving God, right? He, he says, quoting Leviticus 19, 18, there's a second law, uh, like it. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law. Now the words neighbor as yourself depend, they, they need some explanation because as we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes here, uh, there's people that, that say that it means something that it doesn't. So there is a meaning and what it means is so important. Uh, so neighbors are, are those who live or work close to us. It could be our spouse or, or something like that, or or a friend, or, or or maybe even somebody who irritates. Now we're not saying that our spouse irritates, but that happens too. Okay, it happens for us too. Okay, we'll we'll even say that. Uh, probably mostly because of me. All right, even I'll, I'll admit that. You know, because she's so she's very sweet, and I'm sometimes a pain in the rear. So, and, and she's, you know, if, if you're not watching this right now, she just shook her head and rolled her eyes. So, you know, that's true. So our neighbor is even, even in our next door or even our cubicle, but you know, everyone we meet becomes our neighbor. Exactly. The literal definition of the, uh, comes from two different words, meaning bore or body and nigh meaning near. So it literally translates as the body or person, if you will, who is near to us. And that, that can be a number of different people. Um, as you already said, Dave, uh, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, uh, your family, um, people in ministry that you are dealing with, whether they're Christians or not, you know, it's, it's everyone, whether they're, your friends or enemies it, it's it's literally any person that you come in contact with yeah you know we're supposed to love our neighbor jesus says as ourselves. we're not talking about self-love here we're talking about love that, that flows from a source 
Yeah, well, we'll say this again. I'll say this again and again. The love that we have for our neighbor flows from a source, and that source is God. And his promises are true. His character is true. And if we get that order wrong, as we'll talk about in a, in a minute, that is so, whether we whether you talk about loving your neighbor or loving somebody else or anything like that, you're going to get it wrong. So you have to get the order right. It, it Jesus makes it clear. The order is love God first. And that kind of love, it fuels a love for your neighbor, whoever your neighbor is, whether that's your spouse, a friend, a church member, on and on and so forth and so on. Um, all the duties of a neighbor, they depend on love. Now, the word depend in the in the Greek, in the Greek word there literally means it means to hang. As in uh, what lady doesn't like to hang a necklace around their neck or or even hang an ornament on a tree? This hanging, this depending, uh, it means that everything the law says about our duty to our never, it serves love. It explains love. Now, Augustine said this, all God's commandments are rightly carried out only when the motive principle of action is the love of God and the love of our neighbor in God. Now, I didn't make that up. Just, just so you know, I didn't somehow have some clever interpretation or clever idea where I said that, oh, well, loving God feels a love for our neighbor. No, I, 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 the church, is t- Jesus is saying this, the church has taught this, and the church continues to say this. So it's not just Dave's clever interpretation. You know, I'm not making this up. Love is the motive for all that we're to do. It's the organizing principle for all we're to do. The church father, Theodorus, said love unites. And it protects the virtues. Again, an early church father, God's law teaches us how to embody the command. You know, we love parents, for example, going to the Ten Commandments. We love parents when we honor them. We love our spouses when we're faithful and loyal to them. We love our neighbors when we respect their property. We, we love neighbors when we tell the truth to them and about them. You know, this is about telling the truth, by the way, to our neighbors, those of you who are listening. Uh, you know, the many thousands of you who are listening, we're telling you the truth about what it means to love God and love our neighbor. Uh, we love them. Uh, we love them when, when, we'll, when we'll do their good rather than even coveting, you know, their, their good. So the law, it, it informs us and instructs us, uh, even this use the language of the Psalms in the, in the way in which we're to go. The law, ha- it doesn't have, um, you know, it, it does, the law convicts us. The Holy Spirit uses the word uh, to to open our eyes, even as even as Christians, God uses the law, he, but He uses it to convict us, to to instruct us, and and to help point us to Christ, and and that's what the Holy Spirit is also trying to do. He He takes the Scripture, uh, He He exposes our sin, and He He uh, He points us to Jesus from the Scripture, and He sends us out. Yeah, he doesn't get us uh, stuck in our sin and in our failure. He he exposes our error, and whether it's error in our in our doctrine that comes from the word, or it's an it's error about you know what we're believing about or or, or living in a certain way. Uh, the the Holy Spirit aims to convict us and to instruct us, and and He pierces our hearts and teaches us through through the Scriptures. So. Uh, I know that you have some other examples that you wanted to use, Sarah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because Jesus himself talks about these examples later in Matthew 25 through uh, 31 through 46. It's actually talking about the day of judgment when um, he's explaining, you know, how we're going to be judged based on 
uh, how we love God and how we love our neighbors. It says in starting in um, verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherds uh, shepherds separate sheep from goats and he will place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left and then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me and then the righteous will answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me and then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink i was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me and they also will answer saying lord when we, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you and then and he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So as you can see, Jesus is talking about, um, you know, how things are going to be on judgment day. But here's a, a very specific list of things that we can do to love our neighbor and to show love to the Lord as well. Um it's, it's uh, you know, clothing the uh, naked and giving uh, food and water to the hungry and thirsty, you know, showing love to those who are sick and in prison, uh, welcoming strangers into our midst. It's, it's uh, so much more than just, you know, one or two things, obviously, but he's giving us some very specific examples as to how we're to behave as Christians to one another. And it's not just uh, other Christians that we're to love as uh, he mentions in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, um, when he's explaining that we don't just love our friends and family, but everyone. And the reason that we do that is so that we may be sons and daughters of our father who is in heaven, which is what he says in that, in that verse. So clearly we're seeing that showing love to one another is of great importance, if not the greatest importance beyond uh, anything other than loving God. He is our first and uh, the, the primary love of and focus of our life. And then right below that is everyone else that we should be loving. Yeah. What you're saying is, again, the point that loving the Lord, it, it does something in our life. It mm -hmm. leads to, because of the new birth, it leads to loving our neighbors even our enemies, even our opponents. What, what other religion is concerned with loving our opponents in such a way? None. And that's why Jesus' teaching about loving even your enemies is, is so shocking, even so controversial. Um, loving your enemies, loving 
those who oppose the truth. I mean, you see that in the you see that in the book of Acts, right? Uh, they're in the public. They're the Peter and James are in the public, or Peter and John are in the public square. And why are they in the public square? Because they're not in a building. They're taken out into the public square, and then and then people are wanting to take the Jews are wanting to take them and and silence them for preaching that there is there in their own words in acts four there's salvation in no other name but in jesus and uh, why (laughs) that's not that's not tolerance that's not uh, allowing uh free speech that's that's an imposition uh from uh, a religion that opposes christianity uh don't we see that today uh, yeah, yeah, the answer is it's a rhetorical question, but the answer, just to be clear, is yes. We we see that today, and it's so important that we understand and that we see the foundation that we're laying because um, many people get it wrong today. They they say you hear on the news, oh well, loving doing uh, loving actions and loving deeds is it's 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 a matter of loving your your neighbor. Whoa 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 whoa! Wait a minute here. Let's back up. Let's back up. Do I am I only concerned with loving my neighbor? Because what we just talked about, what we just talked about is loving the Lord, and then that fuels a love for your neighbor. So if you get that order wrong, don't you think that that's dangerous? And and the danger is 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 we're hearing this all the time. In fact, you hear it on the news, you hear it on radio, you you see it all over the internet. You don't believe me? Uh, Do a simple Google search about loving your neighbor. The the point will become very evident and very clear uh, that it's it's wrong. What do you What did you want to say about this uh, before I before we get into some quotes? Well, you're absolutely right in that um, there is danger in having the wrong view of loving our neighbor. And lately, we've been hearing a lot about what it means to be uh, loving towards your neighbor, but by so many people that have either never read the Bible or rarely read the Bible and very rarely use it in context. They use it as a means of political and social manipulation to get an agenda um, moving forward that uh, they want to be, you know, the way of the government or the way of the people. But it's very rarely a biblical thing. They're taking uh, scripture and using it almost like a weapon, to be honest with you. They uh, they wave this sword around in a uh, haphazard method, just lopping off arms here and there to get what they want. And it's, uh, it's basically like, um, you know, so many um, people back in the day would be considered a Bible thumper uh, because they would take the word of God and hit people over the head with it, um, metaphorically speaking. Well, they're doing this only in a more dangerous method. They're taking the uh, scriptures and they're taking specifically love your neighbor as yourself to um, uh, and applying it in ways that it was never meant to be applied. Yeah. And and before I read these quotes and before we engage in them a little bit here, I, I just want to be clear. This part of the episode is not about whether you should take the vaccine or, or not. There's a lot of other podcasts that have already covered that. There's a lot of articles that have already covered that. And we'll, at the very end, we're going to talk about Christian liberty and conscience and all these things. So I just want to say that 
so I don't lose you and you don't stick around till the end because you will want to stick around till the end. One one writer from the Orlando Sentinel, Barbara Beck, says a vaccinated society is a step towards eliminating COVID-19. Choosing to be vaccinated, she says, is selfless. It's responsible. Now, notice what she says. She says it's responsible. And then she says it's an act of loving our neighbor. Then she makes it a moral imperative when she says it's the right thing to do. But I get it. Not everyone cares about loving our neighbors. So what she does is she says, look, it's it's a moral. It's a she's making a moral argument. So she's saying it's a moral imperative to uh, getting vaccinated is equated with loving your neighbor. But we just already talked about this. First, the order is important. You, you have to love the Lord, and then that fuels a love for our neighbor. But what she's saying is just love your neighbor. Well, that's that's not that's not biblical. You, you can't. It is not possible to. It's not possible uh, for me to love my wife, to love my neighbor, to do loving goods and loving deeds towards other people without loving God first. It's not possible. In fact, we call this. We call this in, in us theology nerds, we call this moralism. That's exactly what she's saying. And moralism is just, oh, well, just do things, do better things. Uh, and, and, then, and then she actually uh, provides a inviting commentary. Well, not everybody cares about loving our neighbor. Actually, what I would say to you, Barbara Beck, is you don't care about loving your neighbor at all because you didn't tell people to love the Lord. And actually, that's not even biblical. So your understanding, Barbara Beck, of what it means to love our neighbor is not only wrong, you're actually teaching falsely. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is a, a manipulation tactic used by psychologists and others to basically coerce people into something because of their natural guilt uh, response to su such a thing as, well, not everybody cares to be loving to our neighbor. It's, it's basically um, flipping the script on it saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're not loving your neighbor. If you don't act this way, then you're not loving your neighbor. That's like saying, if you don't eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, then you hate sandwiches. That, that doesn't make sense, right? Yep, if you don't true. drink orange juice, then you're not being healthy. Well, what if I have an orange juice intolerance? <clears throat> you know, this doesn't yep. make sense. Walter Kim is the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. So he's a, he's a well-respected figure leading a well uh, a supposed well-respected organization whether they're respected or not anymore i don't know i don't personally follow them so you know that that's beyond my purview here and I, and i don't say that as a knock either or or an insult i'm just saying like i don't follow them and i don't pay attention to them but other than that i found this statement to be interesting as it relates to uh the discussion that we're having today just to be clear uh, so there's no confusion. I'm not insulting Walter Kim or the National Association of Evangelicals on this podcast. And, and neither do we believe in, in insulting people. We, we want to deal with what people say and we want to take them at, at their and engage with their ideas. So that's the goal here. Uh, so he said, Walter Kim said that the more that we can move the discourse from uh, uh, from a discourse about politics and political affiliation to one of mission of love for neighbor, of following Jesus, who would honor the image of God and others, then I do, then I think we're tapping into something that is profoundly motivating for evangelicals. I want to say, what I want to say is, first off, I think that what he's saying, I like a lot of what he's saying. Uh, first off, let me say that. We, we should, as he says, honor the image of God in others. That That's why we should have 
give, give people the benefit of the doubt. We, we should uh, honor the image of God. We, everybody made is made in the image of God. And so everybody is, is worthy of dignity, value, and respect. Uh, so amen to that part of, of what he says. But underlying the, the heart of this comment um, basically is the idea that basically we shouldn't care about politics. Um, and I think that that is a I'm not saying that he's saying that, but underlying his remarks, he says, the more we can move the discourse from a discourse about politics and political affiliation to what a mission as if politics is unimportant, he's saying to the mission, moving, moving the discourse. So moving away from the discourse from one topic to another now. Should our primary allegiance, should our primary focus be political? No, but neither should we dismiss politics. We see politics in the Bible. There's Joseph, there's Daniel, there's there's all these. I mean, you talk about, uh, I guess, I guess Walter would have us take out Joseph from the book of Genesis um, or, or, or other things like that. Uh, there's significant political stuff in the Bible. And so. To, 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 I always am like, what are you saying? Like, you know, I know what you're saying. You're saying that we shouldn't be primarily politically focused. And, and that's true and that's right. But, it, but it's also a category error to say that we shouldn't uh, engage in politics. Uh, when you pit one thing against the other, that's what you're doing. You're, you're comparing one thing to the other, but you're just missing. When you, when you compare and contrast something, you're, you're dismissing that, that thing that, that you're you're comparing you're you're saying here's the here's the thing that you should ignore and here's the thing that you should be primary now we don't we don't see that we shouldn't care about politics at all we we see the opposite we we should care about politics because politics affect real people and they affect how they really live and the the more that we talk like this as evangelicals the more the the less that will actually be engaged in in politics actually in a way that honors god um, and this is what, you know, Daniel, what, he left Jerusalem, for example, we learned he left uh, Jerusalem to to go to Babylon to enter into this culture with, you know, his 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 brothers there from from Israel. And uh, he, he immersed himself and he learned that culture, but he he didn't lose his faith in the Lord and the Lord honored his his faithfulness and and gave him a, even more promise. We see this with Joseph, right? He was tested, uh, you know, by Potiphar's Potiphar's wife, and and what did God do? He raised him up. He raised him up to to lead the nation to preserve uh, in the province of God the nation of Israel um, and 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 his family, uh, you know, the family of Jacob and you know his father and his brothers. And so so we don't not care about uh, uh, politics, and we don't make statements like this uh you know he is right uh in, in his comparison that you know we should be concerned about the mission um and christians have been concerned about the mission you know out of out of honoring the image of god and others we, so we are concerned about reaching the lost and making disciples and that is he's right if there is something profoundly motivating for evangelical but there's also equally something profoundly motivating today for evangelicals uh, about wrong views like this uh, in and of itself, where we dismiss politics. And, and, and then that says to, to many evangelicals, I shouldn't care about politics. It says to the average Christian, well, you know, this man, he's a, he leads the National Association of Evangelicals. He just told me that I need to move on and focus on the primary mission 
which it should be our mission of making disciples and uh, in the local church. And and the, but we also have a witness issue. And this is this this statement is a bad statement um, on its face because of what it says about our witness politics. We are we not only. We're not only to go upstream to reach those who are making policies and, and everything. We're supposed to go downstream and reach people uh, who are the lost, the least, and the marginalized because we have a real love for God. I mean, those are those are people like prostitutes and uh, homeless people and providing food and clothing and all those things. Um, you know, so so this is really uh, an unfortunate statement. It's not even the only statement out there that, that has been made in the last year, um, and, and it confuses the order. The the order is first. He doesn't even say the order is right. Uh, it, the order is first loving the Lord and then loving and following the, the, the Jesus. You know, we have to love the Lord first. And out of that comes our following him and, um, and, and loving other people. Um, so it, it's a kind of a it's kind of a goofy, goofy thing that he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people make this um, this covid shot into being part of the uh, on on par with loving your neighbor as yourself, just like the way that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris did when she said, I believe that getting the act of getting vaccinated is the very essence of what the Bible tells us when it says love thy neighbor. Right. And uh, clearly that's not what the Bible is saying at, at any point. Jesus didn't command us to get a shot. He didn't command us not to drink wine or to wear a tie at church or any number of things that many people have uh, claimed that are part of being a Christian. Uh, the part of the part and problem, the part of the problem that I see uh, in the world around us right now is, um, you know, what, and I think to be fair in Walter Kim's statement that, um, you know, it, it's, it's so um, entrenched in the, in the uh, politics right now is that um, they are putting something that is political on par with a Bible. And that's not, we are not called to do that. We're not, it's not biblical to do that. Um, we should care about politics. We should, you know, um, be pray- in prayer for our uh, leaders. We should be um, looking to provide an example to the world around us through our leadership, uh, both in the church and outside of the church, you know, um, whether it's uh, in politics or just in our social spheres, um, you know, neighborhoods and such that uh, where people can say, okay, that's the love of Jesus in that person. And I can see it shining through. So we cannot in any circumstance say doing one thing uh, that's not specifically mentioned in the Bible is on level with scripture, right? So people will say, okay, um, you know, they make the argument about vaccines or they make the argument about um you know, marijuana, or they make the argument about uh, scandalous clothing or seeing R-rated mo- movies or whatever it is. It, it, And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but it comes uh, back to, um, you know, Christian liberty, you know, what, where we're at as, um, you know, believers and what, and what uh, God has put on our hearts personally to mirror the, that to those around us as his uh, love uh, for those people. So 
you know, we're, we're to, we're commanded to love them, but it doesn't say specifically go get the shot because that's loving them. So exactly. Exactly. And, and just to highlight what you're saying uh, in August 18th, uh, 2021 video message directed to Americans, Pope Francis of the Catholic Roman Catholic church said being vaccinated with vaccines authorized by competent authorities is an act of love and contributing to ensure the majority of people are vaccinated is an act of love. Vaccination is, sim- is a simple but profound way of promoting the common good and caring for other, especially the most vulnerable. Notice, notice again what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that you love the Lord and that such a love fuels you to then get the vaccine. He makes instead a moralistic argument saying that getting vaccinated is an act of love. Now, I told you that we're not going to talk. I'm not talking about whether you do get a vaccine or not. I'm just commenting on the fact that the statement itself on its face is moralistic in that it doesn't have the right biblical order. Jesus talks about it repeatedly over and over again. You look at how Jesus talked about love the Lord and That'll fuel a love for your neighbor. Instead, the Pope and other people, they want want us to do is they want us to do acts of love without the power, the source to actually do that loving act. And it's a moral, it's it's not only moralistic in that, okay, well, this is a behavior that you should do because as he says, it's it's to promote the common good and care for each other in the most vulnerable. Well, maybe that's true, but it, it lacks the power. It lacks that it doesn't plug, you know, when I, when I plug in, I have to plug in my laptop. Otherwise the laptop will die. I have to plug in my phone for the same reason. Otherwise it's going to die. If we don't plug into the, to the right source, namely God, the one who makes this command, how in the world are you going to be able to love your neighbor? And that's the problem. That is the problem. That's why we're doing this episode. It is not to comment on whether you are to get a vaccine or not. It's to make the point that people that are making these statements, they're making them and they're categorically confused in the church and outside the church um, about what it means to love our neighbor. Now, I will say this, okay? I will say this, that there, as Sarah said, there's no verse that says that you should get vaccinated or not. That whether you choose to get vaccinated or not. Now, let me say this. Both my wife and I, we have had COVID. We are immune from the disease. You know, how long or however, they, they don't know, you know, that yet. But we've had COVID. So we're, it's not like we're just saying this, oh, well, you know, we haven't had COVID. We haven't experienced it. No, <laughs> it knocked me down. Uh, I was literally asleep most of the seven, a week. It, and for for people that know me well, to be knocked down and on the couch sleeping the whole time when I'm usually working, that is a very tight, difficult thing for somebody that has not only a military work ethic, but also a type A personality. Uh, I am one of these people, just put your head down and power through it. And I'll power through, I'll tell you, I've powered through pneumonia and bronchitis and, and other illnesses, but COVID knocked me down uh, on my belly and made me sleep. Like I couldn't even, I would sit at my desk and try to work 
And, and I would maybe be able to get 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time. And then the headaches would come on. So we're not talking about this, like just because it, it doesn't matter. It matters to us because the right order matters to God. And, and uh, it, it's not even a matter of getting a vaccine at that point. It's a matter of, we have to talk about the, the theology and everyone is, as R.C. R.C. Sproul said, the question is whether you're a, whether you're a good theologian or a bad theologian, and these people are bad theologians. And so that's why we're pointing it out, that their bad theology, it, it, it's, it's leading people to do things that otherwise they might not do, but they're framing it in a moral way, uh, in a moral imperative way. But the underpinning of it is actually moralistic, and moralism is not the gospel. Right. There's no way that you can... Like I said earlier, you, you don't just not plug in your phone. If you don't plug in your phone or your laptop, it dies. And and the same thing happens with more, the moralistic gospel. You die, and people are dying. Uh, 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 and whether the, whether the vaccine or whatever is is a moral imperative or or you think that it is, I personally. That's your conscious issue, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But what isn't a conscious issue is having the right order and being told to obey a moral imperative uh, because it's a matter of loving God, and people are neglecting this source for that. Like, if you, for example, I'll use this example again just to rep repeat myself for the third time in a short sentence, in a short little explanation. If if I don't plug in my phone, if I don't plug in my laptop, it dies. If you don't plug into the source, meaning if you're not born again, there's no way for you to love your neighbor. There's no way that that you're going to do and loving things and loving deeds towards other people with the right motive as God designed you to do. Well, and not to mention that, but um, we would be remiss uh, in our discussion here about you know Christian liberty and Christian um, freedom if we didn't talk about how God calls us to be the temple of His Spirit. And there is a section in First Corinthians six uh, twelve through twenty that I I um, wanted to touch on here, which says, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. The thing the things that are lawful for me, but." All things, I'm sorry, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any foods for the stomach and the stomach are for foods, but God will destroy it both and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body and God, uh, both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Um, then in verse 15, it says, do you, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who has joined to a harlot uh, is one body with her for the two shall become one. He says one flesh, but he who has joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. Um, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 19. It says, um, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Basically, to sum up, we're to be stewards of our own body. And if that means taking the vaccine, okay, 
that's on you to decide. If that means not taking that vaccine, that's also on you to decide. Just like one person can drink orange juice because it's good for his health, while the other person can't drink orange juice because it causes him to have anaphylactic shock. So you've got to decide, like, is this something that is uh, is part of um, being a good steward of myself under the command to love God first and then love your neighbor as yourself? Or is this a is this something that is not loving to myself and therefore other people? Um, you you've got to know the difference between a command of God, which is you know love and love, or a command of somebody outside from God, um, a you know a government body or something where they give a mandate and you have to choose. Is it something that is is um, going against what God says in scripture? Is it going, is it, is it going against something that is, uh, that I feel is wrong in my spirit because God is telling me this isn't what I want you to do? Uh, is it going to hurt other people in some way or another? And then you've got to make the choice based on, you know, your answers to those questions. It's not something that is necessarily a you know, yes or no, you've got to, you've got to think these things through. You've, you've got to make sure that you are um, having biblical reasons for the actions that you take based on yes or no uh, questions. So when we come back to this, you know, idea of Christian liberty, uh, that it's, it's not always a straightforward thing. You know, should you eat uh, meat sacrificed to idols? Well, probably not, you know, but um, is there anything in the law that says you can't? No, not, not really. No. Um, you know, is, is there a, a reason for you to abstain 100% from drinking alcohol of any kind? Uh, you could make an argument, you know, don't be drunk, you know, drunkenness is a sin, but does that mean all alcohol? No. Obviously not. You know, Jesus drank alcohol. His disciples drank alcohol. It was a common occurrence in the time of Jesus. And, you know, it was something that everybody did in that time, it, you know, even children. So, it, again, you know, where where is your uh, conviction from the Holy Spirit? What is God telling you uh, personally on this issue? It, and, it, and it comes back to, is it healthy for me? And is it healthy for uh, the person next to me, you know, the neighbor. So, yep. um, that's yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, you know, it, that's a really good, really good point about what you said. And, you know, the social gospel, it, it reverses the order. It says love to be clear. It, it reverses the order of the great commandment. The great commandment says, love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all of your soul. But according to the social gospel, you have to love your neighbor and, and they forget about love you know, the Lord. <laughs> and what does that do? It, it ends up, uh, we, we end up seeing this all throughout um, our society, our civilization. You have people who say, oh, well, it's a matter of, well, just be involved in justice. Well, why are we, we're not against being involved in justice, but the, the, we have to have the right order. We, we, we care about matters of justice because we love the Lord. And it's because of loving the Lord that fuels our understanding, like, should Christians fight against sex trafficking? Yes, but should they only just fight against it in their own power? The answer is no. That's the social gospel. The reason that we engage against abortion and sex trafficking and uh, of wrong, even wrong theology is because we love the Lord and we love our neighbor, right? And that fuels 
that fuels our concern about even social issues now, but the social justice, the social gospel does the opposite. It says, well, just do these things and, and then there'll be social, social good. Uh, no, that's a false gospel. That, that's no gospel. It's like saying, if I don't have my laptop plugged in again, I'll use that example. If I don't have my, don't have my phone plugged in at night, uh, my phone won't die. Uh, hello, somebody that that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If I don't have my phone plugged in, my phone will die because I use it all the time. If I don't have my laptop plugged in when it's close to dying, uh, it's going to die. It's not going to be able to be used. And in the same way, we're going to we're going to die spiritually. Uh, there's eternal consequences for getting this is not a, just a, a secondary trite issue. You might think, oh, you know, it's out there, but it doesn't really matter. Well, look at what it does. You look at the fighting on the streets and, and the racial uh, disharmony in our country, and we don't even we haven't even talked on this podcast. I'm going to talk about it in another on a Wednesday episode about the problem of sex trafficking. But the problem of sex trafficking has exploded in our country, and, and should care, Christians not care about that? Just it, it, even as much as they care about uh, fighting against abortion and and seeing it ended. But but we have to understand why. It's because we love the Lord, and that love fuels a, a love for our neighbor. And so the, the order matters, and that's what's so dangerous about what's being said by these, by these people, by these politicians. Just get a vaccine because it's a matter of loving your neighbor. That's, that's not what the Bible says is, is actually what it means to love your neighbor. Now, being concerned— Right. As we talked about being concerned about your neighbor's well-being and their welfare. Absolutely. One hundred percent on board with that. But that doesn't mean that you out of love for your neighbor or even love for God have to get a vaccine. There's no moral. There's no moral imperative that says that getting a vaccine equates to loving your neighbor and loving God by extension. That's that's not that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, mm-hmm. And but there's people that are saying that, and it's a false moral equivalency. Yeah, and so many times, I've seen people use that verse, uh, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, to promote ideals or philosophies that are not truly loving or caring towards people. Uh, for example, did you know that many of the Southern slave owners during the 18th and 19th century tried to make the case for Christian charity in regards to keeping their slaves by using that uh, love your neighbor as yourself uh, verse as an example? They would say things like, well, by comparison to the poor of Europe and the workers in the northern states, the slaves are better cared for. Uh, you know, they said that the slave owners would protect and assist them um, when they were sick and aged, uh, aged, um, unlike those who were, you know, fired from their work or were left to fend helplessly for themselves, you know, um, that was a quote taken from uh, ushistory.org. Um, another one uh, that they uh, cite on ChristianityToday.com uh, is they would say, um, 
you know, slavery removes people from a, a culture that was uh, worship that worshiped the devil and practiced witchcraft and sorcery and other evils. Um, they would say that slavery brings heathens to a Christian land where they can hear the gospel. Christian masters provide uh, religious instruction for their slaves. Under slavery, people are treated with kindness, as uh, many northern visitors can attest. And they would say. Um, Stuff like um, it is in the slaveholders' interest to treat their slaves well um, because the slaves that uh, they're treated more benevolently are um, harder workers and um, stuff like that. It's, it's just a clear example of twisting love your neighbor as yourself to fit their own agenda. And it, it, the epitome uh, of the point here is that it is completely unbiblical, not to mention unethical, uh, especially where like slavery is concerned. Um, when we try and push a political agenda using manipulation of scripture, we're not serving Jesus Christ, but Satan. Exactly. Exactly. That's the, it's a, it's in, in the in 1920, there was a book called Christianity and Liberalism written by J. Gresham Machen. I know you and I have talked about him and he said that, what we're talking about, the social gospel, is a different religion entirely. And that's what it is. It is not Christianity. Christianity is not, I save myself by pulling up my bootstraps and uh, just addressing my behavior. Now, Christianity, biblical Christianity, does address our behavior. It does change our behavior. But again, it's not because of our behavior or even because of our neighbor. It's because of Jesus Christ. That's Exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Great Commandment. Remember, he's talking to a religious leader. A religious leader is asking him this question. By the way, he's asking it to entrap him right. in the Great Commandment. And that's exactly the point today. People today are trying to entrap Christians into uh, being seduced by a, a false gospel that says, just be concerned about your neighbor. Okay, great. Why, why wouldn't we? we? We started the hospitals. We started pretty much the care of other people. Uh, we started the institutions of higher learning uh, to train pastors and so on. By the way, we, we saved some people, non-Christians are going to be shocked by this, but we uh, Christians actually saved non-Christian books by the way, uh, in Alexandria, we save them, the classics, you know, Plato, Aristotle, so on and so forth. We save them, even the classics of literature, by the way, we save them. Why? Because Jesus tells us that we're to love him with our mind and our all. Uh, so if you don't get it right and you think maybe today, and maybe you're a Christian and you're like, well, it doesn't really matter what I do about this or whatever. I want to say in some sense, you're correct. You have a conscience and you need to, you need to use that conscience as, as a Christian, but your conscience is not to be informed by your feelings or even misinformation. As Christians, our conscience has to be informed by truth. As Christians, we have truth. We have the Bible, the 66 books to constitute the word of God. So the question isn't, do I get a vaccine or not? The question is, is the vaccine in the Bible? Is it supported by scripture? Do you have scriptural support for getting or not getting a vaccine? Uh, the, the, the argument that it's a matter of loving our neighbor is, is not a valid biblical argument. It's not. You cannot prove that getting a vaccine equates to loving God and loving your neighbor. 
There is no way to be clear that you could prove it. But that said, it is a matter of your conscience, meaning that you have to do your own work, not just studying what science says, but studying also what scripture says. And scripture also is our final authority. Science is not our final authority, but neither are we anti-science, as some people say. Rather, we're for the truth, and we will go wherever the truth leads us insofar as it is biblical. It has to align with a biblical worldview and biblical priorities. And at the heart of that worldview is what we're talking about today, by the way. Jesus even says that. That's what he's saying. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And on this hangs all the law and the prophets, meaning that it hangs the whole Old Testament. And by the way, they didn't have the, the New Testament at this time. Just to really blow your mind, they did not have the New Testament. So what Jesus is saying is all of Scripture at this time, it hangs on all, this is all the Scripture is, and this is all that it matters. And even today, that's what matters. Love the Lord. The only way that you can love the Lord is by becoming a new creation to repent and to believe and to trust Christ. If you haven't already, that's that's so vital. But as a Christian, your conscience has to be informed by truth. You have to be, as we've talked about, discerning. But you also have freedom, but not some people think, oh, I have Christian freedom. So that means I can do whatever I want to do. No, it means that you have freedom insofar as what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. Does scripture say to get a vaccine? I don't think it does. I don't see any verse in the Bible that says that we're supposed to get a vaccine or, or, and I'm not saying that getting a vaccine is necessarily right or wrong. I'm just asking a question. But also the larger issue here is, is we also have people that denigrate others, that they, they talk down to them. They think, oh, well, you're the, you're the worst person in the world because you're advocating to get other people to, to get a, a vaccine or not. Let me be clear about this. If you're denigrating a fellow Christian, you are showing, according to 1 John, that you might not be a Christian. Because how we are to love one another, it's manifest. What we think and how we treat others, especially fellow Christians, it reflects our love for God. It is our view. It's like if if I treat my wife in an abusive way, that's actually more of a reflection in my heart about what I think of God. Because I've not only, I'm commanded to love my wife. That's not an option, Paul says in Ephesians 5. I am commanded. In fact, I'm commanded in most translations, it's five times in Ephesians 5. In the Greek, it's actually six times. Six times as a man, as the head of the home, under under Christ, the head of the church, I am commanded to love my wife. So if if I abuse her, if I mistreat her, guess what? What does that say? It's just very little about my view of God, right? In the same way, if we if we belittle and we mistreat other people, guess what? It, it says a lot about our our view of God. And I want to say there's there's sin on both sides here. There there's sin on both sides of those who uh, are anti-vaccine, who bind the conscience and make other people feel bad in our local churches, and and there's sin on the other side of people saying, "Well, you have to get a vaccine." As a Christian, there's nothing in the Bible that says either either one. Mm-hmm. There's there's no nothing. You can't show me one verse, one verse. And if you think you can, you send that verse to me. You send that verse to me, chapter and verse, and, and we'll talk. 
In fact, you know what? We'll probably get on the phone and talk. You cannot show me one verse. I'll challenge you. I'll even challenge those of you who listen. You show me one verse that says that you have to get a vaccine, and I'll show you that there isn't a verse that supports that. But this is Christian charity. We give the benefit of the doubt. We are loving to wonder. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 6, to bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is what we've been talking about today. Bearing each other's burdens, by the way, is a matter. It's a matter for us of obedience to God in our local churches. So if you think that decimating and destroying and tearing down because you believe that the vaccine is right and somebody doesn't, you need to go back and you need to repent because you're not being loving. You're not being loving to your fellow Christian. And we're not, we're, we're again, I'll be perfectly clear. We have our thoughts, our preferences on this topic. Um, we both do, and we're both in agreement about those things. But behind this idea that you have to get, you have to get a vaccine because it's a moral imperative, is bad theology. And what bad theology does is it hurts people absolutely. Good theology that comes from the Bible, it, it is life-giving. It doesn't destroy people. It doesn't lead people away from God. The word cuts, but the word also heals. The word, yes, convicts, but it also, by the Spirit, he brings healing through you know, the word of God, yeah. through the personal work of Jesus that the whole Bible testifies to. Mm -hmm. And that's good news because only, only in Christ can we be united. You know, the person that's anti-vax, and the person that is facts only in only because of Christ can they be united yeah. and they have been united. The, the Christian who is anti-vax and the Christian that is vaxxed, we can come together in our local churches. We can sing praises to our savior and to our King. Uh, we can love one another. We can agree. Guess what? We can agree. I could agree to disagree with somebody who has a, an opposing, opposing position or theological point. That or emphasis than I do, but I can still in Christian love and charity, I can listen to them. I can even learn from them, even as I disagree with them, mm -hmm. but I should love them and care about them. And that's the problem. We don't, we don't have a good enough understanding of Christian conscience and Christian freedom today. We think freedom is doing whatever we want to do and even smashing the other person's view and opposition and into a billion pieces. But I have to ask, pause and ask you, is that really loving? Is that really what it means to loving, love God? And, and even further, what if a non-Christian sees us do that? What are they going to think about Jesus? They're, the answer is they're not. And I can tell you, I can tell you growing up in Seattle for the majority of my life, being around non-Christians, I can tell you, and being a Christian my entire, adult, my entire life, I can tell you what they think. They don't think much of it at all. They think we're hypocrites and they think that we don't believe what we say we do. And that's sad. It's tragic. But this is why we also should engage as Christians, because these matters are matters of uh, not only Christian conscience and Christian liberty and Christian charity, as I talk about, but they're also matters of Christian engagement. And, and undergirding all of them is a love for the Lord and a love for our neighbor. That's why we're not afraid to have uh, the open exchange of ideas. That's why Paul wasn't afraid to go and engage people with, with biblical truth. And even use secular uh, ideas to win people to the truth. And we shouldn't either. And we should go, uh, Jesus demonstrated this over and over again. He went out of his way to talk to the Samaritan women some 15, 20 miles in, in his sandals, by the way, you know, uh, in that day. He, we should go the distance with people 
and we should care about people all because we love God and we love one another. So Sarah, what do you want to say? Well, just to summarize, um, there, there is just three main points here. Um, does it uh, jive with scripture? Is it scriptural? Is it biblical? Uh, is your choice uh, to adhere to, you know, whatever thought or philosophy, um, something that is going against your conscience? Is it is it going against the things that you feel like God is telling you to do or not to do? And thirdly, is it going to do harm to others? Is it going to um, cause problems in your relationships? Is it going to um, cause physical illness? Now, um, obviously that circles back all the way back to, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, um, but before that, obviously loving God first, um, we have to make the decisions based on, um, the best, uh, knowledge that we have at the time. And if that means that, um, we decide that it's not healthy for us to take the shot, then that's the route that we need to take. If we decide that it is healthy for us to take the shot, then that's the route we need to take. You know, not everybody has the same um, level of health. Not everybody has the same, um, you know, uh, allergies or um, things that they can and can't do. Um, and the, there's a there's a problem with, uh, you know, trying to apply a one size fits all to every person out there. There is no one size fits all when it comes to something like this. And we need to remember that and keep that in the forefront of our minds, because saying otherwise and trying to make this a first order issue of theology is not biblical. And it's like what you said, if it comes from God, then that's what we should do. If it, uh, you know, if it applies in the loving God first and then loving your neighbor, that's how we should, um, you know, proceed from there. But if it doesn't, if it's something where our Christian conscience, Christian liberty, Christian charity, and Christian engagement are in conflict with one another, or they're in conflict with, uh, you know, biblical teaching scripture, um, that's where, that's where, no, you don't do it because you've, you've got to consider, you know, um, our first calling is loving God. And that means obedience to him. Right. And scripture being the paramount word of God that it is, is the all time authority over everything. We cannot put a mandate above scripture. We cannot put uh, laws of men above scripture. We cannot put our mom and dad above scripture. We cannot put our spouse above scripture. God and uh, through his son, Jesus, and the, you know, the written word that we have, those things uh, are, are, should always be our sole focus and, uh, and our guiding principles in everything, in all aspects of our lives, um, whether it's our health, our finances, our, uh, you know, charity work, whatever we're doing, ministry related things, anything that we do, any action that we have, any interaction that we have with others, it all comes back to the top, the source, like you said, being plugged into the right source. And that is God. That's it. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a really good episode, and I we again we hope that this will serve you well. Uh, we're, we're again not telling you to whether you should or shouldn't take the 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 shot. You know that that is about your decision. You know the goal has been in this episode to help you guys to you know love the Lord and love your neighbor and to have a good understanding of what that means 
and even how to think through some of these things. I hope I hope that you'll think through these things as a matter of Christian conscience and Christian liberty and true Christian freedom and Christian engagement. You know, how we engage, it matters so much because people are watching. There might not be as many people watching us, but if you watch the news, guess what? They exult, right? They are exuberant when we fail to love. And so they are watching, they're paying attention and they're seeing, oh, do you really, do you really take Jesus at his word? Do you really believe Jesus? That the, the church, we need to understand. And as we talk about often on this show, the church has good answers to these complex issues, but they're also, they're also, they're, I'm not going to say they're, they're simplistic answers, as Sarah said, they're not cookie cutter answers. What, 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 what the answer is for me might be different for you, given your various situation and, and, and age and, and everything. But that's why you need to be in the local church, though I need you and you need me so that we can work together uh, through these issues. We can talk about them. We can even agree to disagree and thereby learn to actually love one another as God commands us to. Um, and so I hope that this episode has been helpful. Sarah, thank you so much for joining. Now you guys get to see the kind of conversations that, that my wife and I have pretty regularly. And uh, so welcome to the, to the inside of circle of trust, if you will. Uh, I say that jokingly and with a smile if you're you know uh, watching this. But, but in all seriousness, thank you uh, for, uh, for listening. If you guys have further questions about this, feel free to reach out and ask, and, and maybe we'll do a future episode to, to talk through those things. But uh, this has been something that has been on both of our hearts for a good while, and so we wanted to do an episode. We're not asking, by the way, to be clear for you to agree with every jot and tittle that you heard or, or uh, 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 in this episode. We're just saying these are a few thoughts, and here's how to think through them biblically and to work it out. And we hope that and trust that that's helpful to you. So thank you for listening or watching this episode of, of Equipping You in Grace. Uh, we, we love you guys and we care about you a lot. So thank you guys for trusting us and letting us into your homes. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.